to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today we're going to be looking through James chapter 4. I'm just going to be reading the text and then just sharing a few thoughts as we kind of go through it. James is a really cool book. It's written in a like a rabbinical teaching style. I think it's Chavez or Chavez or I can never pronounce it right anyway. But it's basically the idea of like going through these gems of wisdom. Like it's just dropping gems. I guess like a rapper. Uh, just dropping gems of, of wisdom, like pearls and insights that kind of all interconnected but also disconnected at the same time. So in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels among you? Verse 1. What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Man, I, I was reading that the other day and I was thinking, that's crazy. Like you, is it, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And I was thinking about the UK at the moment. I was thinking like, oh, okay, this is like some backwards thing. You know, this text is like not quite 2,000 years old, but coming up to it. So they're, they're in different times setting to us, different kind of issues. But actually, if you look at London right now, if you look at the number of stabbings, it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this. So you see particular profiles of people that are committing most of the stabbings. And if you look at their backgrounds, I'll tell you one key thing you're going to notice it that is in common with every single person who's stabbing in London. None of them are really, generally speaking, you get the odds person who's a psychopath and it happens. None of them are at Eton. None of them are at a private school somewhere. All of them have lack. That's the one thing in common. Common denominator, you'll see it everywhere. All the kids that get arrested with knives, I can guarantee you now, none of them are ballers. None of them. I've never seen, I've never seen any kids, in my experience in UFO, I've never seen like, oh yeah, sorry sir. Yes, one was carrying a knife. It's always an underprivileged kid. It's a kid from a rougher background that does not have. So when I look at this text and I read this first bit, at the beginning I'm like, what? No, because I know that in me, I don't go, man, my car has dents on every side. I'm not going to go out there and kill someone with a Range Rover and take it. That's not, that's not within me. I, I, it's, it's not something I directly, maybe I would, maybe I would, I don't know. <laughs> that's not something in me that directly kind of connects and, and cries out for me. But when I read this text and I look at the world we live in, not a lot has changed in almost 2,000 years. Not a lot has changed. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You cover and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then James drops this really amazing line of wisdom. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I think so often, like, I guess in kind of like the faith stream within Christianity, where you get like, I guess, prosperity gospel, a lot of guys that are like faith, like you name it, you claim it, you get it, that's it, you believe it. Um, and and they, they have this attitude and they share these different stories and things like that about things that they've got, things that they've gained. Well, James's attitude is completely different to that. He's like, well, actually, the reason, you know, if you don't have, just ask God if you don't have. But that's about not having, like having your needs, having things like, say, say we were talking about the car scenario. It'd be a case where like now it's hard fitting things in our car without the suspension breaking like it did a little while ago, putting everything in for two kids and us, and then the amp for church, the suspension on the right-hand side just broke. 
You know what I mean? So I can have a conversation with God about, Lord, I need a new car because going forward, this isn't very practical for us. That's a legitimate conversation. A few years ago, before Eden and Aria, if I'm having a conversation with God about a new car, do you know what it's about? I want a new whip. I want something that looks cool. I want something that goes fast. You see what I mean? There's a huge difference in why I'm asking God, why I'm talking to God about this thing. And James is like, some of you guys don't have because you don't ask God. Like you don't ask him and you don't believe him and you don't trust him. But then he goes to others of you that are asking him and you're not receiving. I want to tell you something about what you're asking for. You're just asking for things that you like. Like, Lord, I would love tickets to the Champions League final. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know what? I would. But James is like, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You're asking for things that are just your passion, your, your selfish desire. And James's whole attitude towards things is one where selfishness is more of a problem in the world. It's not a solution to anything. So we have this great saying where it's like, well, you know, if you haven't fixed yourself, you can't help other people. No, it's nonsense, because you may be really good in one area and the other person's weak in that area of need. Of course you can help them, but you might be like really weak somewhere else, someone else can help you in that area. The idea that you've got to have it all together to help someone is absolute baloney. You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then he says, you adulterous people, like, man, slap in the face. You, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over our spirit and that he has made to dwell with us? But he gives more grace. Because of this, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but the humble he gives his grace to. God opposes the proud, but gives his grace to the humble. That is one of the best verses you'll ever read. It appears in the Old Testament, appears in James. I think Peter quotes it as well. It appears like three times in the Bible. If something appears three times, it's like, you need to know this, you need to engage with this, and this needs to be a part of your life. If it's not, you are gonna lack. You're gonna be spiritually impoverished. If something gets, keeps on being said, not a one-off, but said again and again and again, and you don't make this a part of your life, you're never gonna really experience the Christian life. So there's this idea that God opposes the proud. You know, I can think about some times in my life where I've been really pushing for something, really wanting something, really driving for something, but I haven't been getting it. And I've lived in this place of absolute frustration, frustration with myself, frustration with my family, everyone around me, frustration with God. But actually the whole problem I'm experiencing is what I'm going for is kind of good, but there's this whole pride thing driving it. And God is just like, I'm not letting you go anywhere with this until you sort this out. Like until this pride thing goes out of the way where you're up yourself, like that's cool, you can, you're gonna stay exactly where you are. And so often you and I, we spend all our times, and he says here about the reason you don't receive answers to certain prayers is because actually the situation around you doesn't need to change, you need to change, I need to change. And so often it's like the next door, the next place up isn't gonna be open to you because you'll be more of the same, you'll be more of the problem. You'd happily be like Jeff Bezos with billions and billions and just sitting on it and then working how you can make bigger profit margins and how Amazon could be even bigger than Amazon already is. And, and, and people like respect that. That's not to be respected. His wife's to be respected. She's taken half of their divorce settlement, his ex-wife, and she's given away to charity. 50% of everything she's got. That's to be respected. 
It's like if you're going to go out there, and she's played such a key role in helping him be successful anyway, if you're going to do everything you're going to do and you're going to grow and you're going to do that, man, you've got to think about something that's more than just selfish ambition because you're going to leave a hollow and an empty life. So it says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Then here comes like the most abused part of the Bible. I think I've probably heard. There's maybe one or two that are as abused as much as this, but I'm not going to distract from this verse by talking about them. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, you see, there's this full stop after submit yourself, therefore, to God. (coughs) So people leave that there on its own as a statement. Then the next bit is resist the devil and he will flee from you. But there's an absolute reason these these two statements are next to each other. I know so many people that will say to someone in a tough time or whatever, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You can resist the devil until the cows come home. He's not moving one inch if you haven't submitted to God. So like, if you're like in complete rebellion with God, you're not doing anything he told you to do, you're not having the attitude, the mentality, you're not living the humble life, but you're there just posting the selfies all the time of absolute arrogance and then hashtag humbled. Like, what was humbling about that photo? You're on a yacht with a beautiful, with champagne and a bottle popped. Hashtag humbled. I look at that sometimes and my mind blows like I'm on cocaine, I think. I know that I've ever been on cocaine, I don't know what it's like, but I'm just saying my mind gets blown like I imagine it would because I'm just like looking at it like, I'm like trying to zoom in on the picture. Where was the humbled in this? I can't, I can't make it out. Maybe the filter removed the humble, I don't know. You know what I mean? And so it talks about submitting yourself therefore to God and then resist the devil and he'll flee from you. There's no and there, but the two statements. And then the next bit as well, he's doing the same thing again. This is like typical rabbinical teaching style. You just drop bombs. You hit one statement after another, connected to each other, then another one, another one, another one. So it's almost like he's freestyling. So submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You're not submitting to God, devil ain't moving an inch. So just be ready for that when you get yourself slapped up, realize you haven't submitted yourself to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's an amazing statement. That's an amazing statement. That means any time in your life where you could be in the worst time, the worst period, the worst place, you have this amazing ability where James says, and the Bible says, you can just draw near to God and he draws near to you. You can always choose to take a step just to be a little bit closer to him and he'll move heaven and earth to be close to you. But the way we draw near to God, I would always suggest it always comes in humility. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exhort you. If you spend your whole life trying to exhort yourself, you're always going to find yourself opposed to God. You're always going to find yourself opposed to God. But it's when we humble ourselves before God, God exalts us and he lifts us up. And that's why when we look at the model of Jesus and who he is, uh, Paul writes to the church in, in Philippians and his whole angle is that he bowed lower than everyone else and then at the end of the passage it says that he has the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father because he bowed so low, served all people throughout all space and time by dying on the cross for their sins where they were unable to because none of them were righteous, none of them could go to the cross, none of them could take the sins of others on and die in their place but he did that and when he does that he gets the name above every name so the call of the Christian 
isn't about how high you can go, it's about how low you can go. It's about how low you can bow. So he says, don't pursue laughter as your main goal. Don't pursue joy and all these things. But sometimes it's best to just mourn the situation you're in, trusting God, humbling yourself before him, coming to him in prayer, make him request the situation you're in. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, I think we spend so much time talking about other people's business. Man, I was at a barbecue yesterday and Love Island came up. I mean, that's the moment where I just want to, I just want Jesus to come back. I'm like, I'm done, I'm out. Jesus, just come back, take me out of here. Someone is talking about Love Island, the island where there is no love. I don't want to, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the only thing good about Love Island is the lighting, and that's because my mate does the lighting there. But I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely rock bottom. It is the lowest common denominator. There is no, maybe there is a lower, con- if there is a lower common denominator than Love Island, I don't even want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. It's like, oh my gosh, is this actually a thing that the whole nation is talking about? But hey, do not speak evil against your brothers. Don't judge. Man, it's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard. We watch it and then we're talking about, oh, did you see how he treated her, how she treated him? Oh, I don't think she's got good intentions for that young man. I think, and I think he's got good intentions. Oh, I've heard that he's done this outside of the show. And did you see that on his Instagram profile three years ago? Da, 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 da. And then it's like, oh my gosh, people are like doing backgrounds. Like, I tell you what, I've seen people study Love Island harder than anyone I ever have seen any part of the Bible. Like, like you know what I mean? There are pastors who can't even bother to look at any of the original language and text. But these guys are like, I've scanned their whole entire lives for the past five years. I managed to get his EHCP plan and I saw that his birth was like, you know what I mean? It's absolutely insane the way people are. But we love to look and we love to keep up with the Kardashians and we love to ask people, what do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about this? And, and what do you think about that? We love more than anything else to judge and we love more than anything else within our nature and our society to like to trash talk about people and things like that. But James is like, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't right. And I think this is one of the things that if we're honest about this, I don't think there's a single person here today because I know I'm not, um, that can say like, that's not a challenge for you. Like if you're telling me that's never a challenge for you, I think you're a liar. So you've got a different challenge you need to deal with because we all have that moment where we hear something about someone and we just, we don't want to think about it. We don't take a moment to think, well, how can I help them progress in their situation? We just speak stuff that's all regression and speaking about where they are. The cool thing about God is God has this amazing ability to look at you, to look at me, and not speak to you and I where we are and on our track down, but actually speak up to where he called us to be. He did it with Peter. Peter was a waste man. Peter failed in his education, learned his father's trade, and then Jesus sees him in his boat and he says, you follow me, and Peter says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Jesus doesn't say, yes, you're right. He goes, I will make you something else. You'll be a fisher of men. You'll come with me, you'll catch people. You'll pull people out of the water and the situations and the mire that they find themselves in. God looks at you, God looks at me, and he doesn't speak to us where we're at. He speaks where we're going to be at, where he's calling us to and ahead of us. One of the greatest gifts you can ever have is to actually talk to people, not where you see them at in their failings, but speak into their future of where you believe they're going to be. 
to prophesy over them without saying, thus saith the Lord, without saying any of the weird stuff with it because they may not be down for that. You can just start speaking over them. Like, I see this in you. I see greatness in you. I see goodness in you. I see that you've got plans to move into that area. I think you'd be amazing at that. When they're telling you, sometimes I hear people tell me what they're going to do and I'm, I just want to say like, oh my gosh, really? I do not see you a master chef. This is not for you. Change your dreams. But actually sometimes you can just go, you know what? You go for it. I believe in you. You can do this. I've got this. I'm with you. I've got a couple friends that I have that I've told them some plans that I wanted to do and they've been so cockeyed and so crazy and these guys have just gone, yeah, man, you could do it. And then you're sitting around them and you're like, yeah, yeah, I can. I can. You start believing it. And they're great friends to have because they're the ones you go to in the future about stuff. Even sometimes you go like, I'm never going to do that, but they're going to make me feel great about this idea, so I'm just going to tell them. Whereas the other ones who are just like constantly critiquing every single area, it's like, man, I don't mind hearing a critique. If your thing is like, this is going to be a problem, here's how you overcome that problem. But some people just want to keep you down and talk to you like you're trash. You want to be around people who hear your dream and your heart and your passion, and they go, yeah, well, you know, that's going to be a challenge, but you can, you can do this, you could, you could do that, you can navigate this way. We want to be people that hear and don't judge to kill and destroy a dream. We want to be people that speak into people's dreams and go, there are these opportunities. I know people who've done this that could be have helped you. Let me put you in touch with them. I don't know anything, but they do. We want to be those type of people. Now, verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There was a group of merchants, a type of profile of people within the church he's communicating with and the diaspora that he's speaking to like kind of the merchants who had a kind of a faith. So other parts, he talked about the rich, he's talking about people who aren't necessarily in the faith. In this category, he's talking to people who are in the faith and are merchants and they move about and they travel and they do their business and they conduct themselves. And he's like, that's great, that's cool. He's not talking trash against people who are making money, who are pushing to do these things. His attitude and his problem with them is everything he talks about in this passage has one common ground, which is humility knowing your correct place and who God is. And so his, his problem is that these guys are going about and it seems like harmless on the top, but he knows that in the future where this will lead you to is a dangerous place. And there's so often people go and make these plans and because it's not like a, it's not like a church career path plan, it's not like a, a ministry career path plan, they feel like you can just make any plans you want and just pursue these plans and step into them and it's all going to be okay. And his thing is like, well, actually, what you need to do, you may be merchants, you may not be doing like the ministry, but actually he's like, your angle needs to be that actually, you know what? If the Lord wills, we'll do this, we'll do this. Like, just bring God into it. And I just encourage you, no matter what your job is, bring God into it. Bring things before him. Oh, I'm thinking about going, I've got these three different options of which career path to go from where I am. Lord, which one do you want me to do? Is it any of these? Is it something else? Just bring it to him. Submit it before him. Let him bless you. Let him exalt you. Let him give you the next opportunity that lies ahead of you. James is such a cool guy because he's such a straight-talking individual. But everything he's talking about It's all slap in the face, but it all hinges on one single thing. Knowing your correct place with God. And knowing that when you're in your correct place with God, you can submit yourself to Him. You can resist the devil and He'll flee. You can submit yourselves and you can draw near to God. And as you draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. And actually, if you have lack in your life, you can actually come to Him and you can bring it to Him in humility and He'll provide the lack and solve it for you and solve your solution. But he says, let's not kid ourselves by chasing after things that were never for us. 
Let's not kid ourselves by talking trash about everyone else instead of speaking goodness into life that leads them into a new path. Because none of these things find themselves rooted in humility. I'm going to pray for us today and that'll be the end of it. Father, I thank you so much for James and his wisdom. So many people don't straight talk like James. Often, I would never dream to straight talk like James. But there's amazing liberty and freedom that comes from hearing from you about how to center ourselves on you. I pray, Lord, that this week you give us opportunities to flow into these things. That where we see lack in our lives, we'd ask you and we'd talk to you. And where our prayer list won't be driven by, just want a better whip, just want this cool stuff, just want that, just want this, but actually the deep and the meaningful. Father, I pray you help us not to speak over people things that lead to death and hurt and harm, but that we speak past. We have to have difficult conversations. It's not all airy-fairy stuff, but that we would still speak the greatness that we see in them, the potential we see in them, that we would speak words that release that potential. I pray, Lord, that you give us the wisdom. And I pray also, God, that for some of us that maybe feel distant from you, this week will be a time when we draw near to you, knowing you will draw near to us. Father, I just pray for anyone right now who straight away in their heart and in their head knows that when I spoke about lack, they already had in mind that one thing. I pray you would solve it and you would grant it and you would meet them in that area of lack, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yes.